Well, that ruined take one. Well done. <laughs> I didn't. What did I do? I just sat there and smiled. <laughs> you, you, you know what you did. Hello, and welcome to It Is Complicated, the podcast that has every answer to every question being it's complicated, including the title of the podcast, because that is complicated. Hello, Dr. Jack. Hello. Hello. It's good to see you again. It's been, what, less than 12 hours since our last conversation. It's been minutes. (laughs) Who are you, Dr. J, and why? And why? Ah, Gosh, trying to come up with a why each time is getting more and more difficult. Uh, How about when? When? Oh, dear. (laughs) For a time lord like me, that's even worse. It's like, when am I? When am I what? The past, the future is stuff that I'm yet to do. The present is now. And the past is stuff that I've done. But don't ask me when I did something or what time it is because I will never have a clue. So, hey, I'm Dr. J. I gave myself the job title Harbinger of Change. I work at ThoughtWorks, which is a bespoke software consultancy. As another part of my life, I gave myself the gender transgressive non-binary gender queer the new zealand government allowed me to make that official statutory declarations and self-id for the win what else about me oh, i'm a troublemaker and a hashtag queer nuisance because branding hi my name is josephine baird i am a independent scholar activist and artist and i like to think of myself as a queer without portfolio we could talk about the notion of reading versus passing yes. and how that plays out for us quite differently. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting topic. It came up in one of our earliest episodes. Around and, clothing. Yes, around clothing. And I remember Jay blew my mind with a number of concepts during that particular discussion. And one of which was really making me realize there is a very useful and important distinction between the notion of reading and passing when it comes to one's sense of self and presentation. And the concepts are critically different enough that I'm going to try to stop using the word pass when I almost always mean the word read. And I wonder if Dr. J, you might enlighten us once again with the distinction. I can't remember where I read the distinction, but the distinction is in reading it's a passive action on my part. It's how the other person has read me. I have very little control over that. I can exert some control over the signals that I send with my clothing, with my attire, with my stance, but it's about the other person's perception of me. I'm almost passive in that. So it's saying how somebody reads me It's up to them, it's their culture, it's their notions of what gender, sexuality, normative is. When when we say somebody passes as a trans woman, we are saying that they replicate the look, the style, the attitude and the behavior of a cis woman. So they are having to put all the actions in that they pass as a cis woman. Whereas passing almost has that notion of faking or pretending to be in the way that it's used for some other things, somebody passing themselves off as. Does that make sense? Passing is a word I've been aware of for a long time, for certainly as long as I've been out as trans. 
And the concept very much when I first came across it had to do with the notion of passing for or passing as something else. So you're a trans person, but you pass for cis. Now, that was considered generally a positive thing or something even to strive for when that word was used in the, the communities and the times that I was first aware of it. In that sense, the word would have been associated with the notion of stealth, the idea of being a trans person who is stealth, as in they hide that they're trans, they hide their transness. I say they because this is not something I do regularly and certainly not something I've done for any amount of time longer than needing to get by a phone call or a situation outside. Most of the time I'm very, very out. So stealth and passing are concepts I've not been as associated with until quite recently when, because of the things that I ended up doing for my own sense of self, the transition that I went through later, weirdly enough, well after coming out as trans, I started to be read more as a cis person, as in my transness isn't as obvious anymore for a number of reasons, which meant that I was starting to pass for cis. And I found that quite disconcerting and not very comfortable. And Jay and I had some very interesting conversations you and I discussed this and you made a clear distinction of being read as something and passing as something because passing suggests something that I was actively trying to do in order to suggest to another person that something was not true. You know, it's sort of weird. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think that passing as a concept for trans people has anything to do with duplicity but the concept has certain overtones of that when you see it from the outside perspective, especially if you relate to notions of stealth. I think being read as non-trans may be a goal for certain trans people, and I think that's perfectly fine. It's not something I've ever concerned myself with for my sense of self. I have no problem being read as trans, However, the transition that I've gone through for myself has meant that I'm now being read as cis, which has caused a mindfuck for me. <laughs> so the distinction is very, very slight, but important. I'm being read as, by someone else, as cis because of a byproduct of a transition that I did for myself. I was not attempting to pass, but despite that, I am now being read as cis. I have no problems with being read as trans. In fact, I'd like to be read as trans in every circumstance where it is safe. <laughs> but apparently that's not up to me anymore in the same way that it used to be. And so I have to actually now act in a certain way or behave in a certain way or make clear in certain ways that I am trans in order to be understood as trans, even if I'm not actually read as trans anymore, which is just, and this is where the complications come in. What factors lead into someone being read as trans or cis or not, or any combination of those? And how does that relate to the notion of passing? The question I come to in the end is, is passing a good thing or a bad thing or a neutral thing? Or is it a concept that is of any use anymore? Is it something that we should discuss and deconstruct? Or is it something that we can just say, well, okay, that was a term we used to use and maybe read is more accurate. And I don't really know the answer. 
I don't want to take a word away from anyone, certainly from people who are using it and need it to describe their experience. And certainly because that experience I don't think is necessarily a bad one, far from it. But I do know that the need to pass was definitely something that a lot of trans people spoke about when I first came out. And it's a concept that has been around ever since I have. And that societal pressure to pass as cis, the, in fact, the rights that you're accorded can be connected to you being able to pass for cis. In fact, that's a discussion that's happening in the UK right now. Basically, it seems that our rights as trans people seem somewhat contingent on whether or not we can look cis or not at the moment. And that's terrifying. I mean, it's always been the case, but now they're talking about codifying it into law in some way. And that's just like, holy fuck. I didn't think we were going to get to that point. Uh, But apparently it's something that's being considered and I am terrified. Passing is far more difficult when you're non-binary. Like if I pass, what do I pass as? So I prefer reading because it allows me to describe the experience of going up to a check-in desk and having both a man and a woman standing there going to do my check-in and they both greet me simultaneously and one has read me as a woman and one has read me as a man and they just look dreadfully confused because they haven't even considered the other person might be seeing something else. That's how people read me. So I can be read as either a man or a woman when I walk up to a check-in desk. I can be read either as a man or a woman when I'm walking into an office and that will determine where people direct me to the bathrooms and things like that. Those things are all beyond my control. There's very little that I can do as a non-binary person who doesn't have a strong masculine or a very strong feminine face or aspect to my body that I play up with the way that I dress for somebody. And it's not like I owe them androgyny, but my non-binariness, my gender queerness, my transgressiveness, people look at me and are just not sure where to put me in the binary. It's not me trying to pass as something. It's understanding that they're reading me and non-binary is not in most people's mindsets at the moment. So the notion of passing never had the same value judgment as it does for somebody who's trans within the binary sense, I don't believe. And I know what you mean about valuing passing in terms of trans, in terms of being able to be stealth, in terms of safety, in terms of fitting into societal norms. And I find the discourse at the moment in the UK incredibly upsetting, not just because non-binary people are forgotten because, you know, hey, we don't exist, but it's also there are value judgments made about trans women, especially ability to be visibly trans or visibly non-trans, to pass as a woman. If she passes as a woman, then she's going to be okay. But if she looks too masculine or too much like a man for my reading of her, I'm going to say she doesn't pass. And it's got that notion of thou shall not pass. I get upset at that. I get annoyed at that because for a lot of the trans people I know and for a lot of mine and Josephine's friends, that notion of passing is something that isn't really it's about safety, but it's also, it's not in their control. It's not in your control how somebody reads you. And it also means that if you want to pass, you have to put in a lot of effort and a lot of 
work to ensure that every person who looks at you receives the right cultural markers to mentally assign you to this group and not that group. Whereas I'm kind of like, I don't give a shit. The flip side of that passing coin is that someone is trying to pass for the person they actually are. You know, when you say pass for cis, that I'm talking about it from my perspective, like I don't want to pass for cis per se, because I don't feel any need to. I don't, I personally don't worry about that. Or I personally am very comfortable being read as trans because that's quite an integral part of who I am. There are lots of trans people who don't feel they want that to be the primary marker of their identity. They want to pass for a woman because they are a woman. They want to pass for a man because they are a man. Weirdly enough, it occurred to me like you would like to pass for non-binary because you are non-binary. What cultural markers are required to define non-binary? In terms of research or even sort of cultural markers, there is a certain amount that you can track and you can actually quantify, weirdly enough. I had a a very interesting conversation with a butch woman academic who explained to me her work on figuring out how many secondary gender characteristics you have to have in order to be read as masculine male or feminine female. And she pointed out to me that it's like, actually, in order to be read as female, you have to put on significant numbers of codified markers onto your body. So you have to have makeup and hair a certain way and dress a certain way and act a certain way that there has to be a lot of them. In order to be read as male, you only need one or two. So the second you put facial hair on your face, you will be read as male. It was really interesting for her. It was like, it's actually quantifiable. And so she was talking about, hey, I'm a cis woman and I like being a cis woman, but I'm also butch, but I have to navigate this insane set of circumstances in order to still be read as a woman and be butch. So she had to be aware of how many markers she had to include into her sense of style in order to also be female and wear the masculine clothing that she preferred to be read as both a woman and butch. And it was incredibly complicated. <laughs> and then for me, we were discussing me. She was like, yeah, in your case, you've had to put on these this number of cultural markers in order to be read as female. But the second you let your beard grow out, all of this is washed away. Mm. All of it's negated. That cultural work is so complicated and is based on so many different aspects, all function together. And that, of course, intersects with race and disability and age. It all factors in. And we're all making those adjustments constantly. And it's just more obvious with us. But in your particular case, when you're talking about non-binary, you have to add in several more levels. Oh, yeah. I do wonder what, yeah, I do wonder what cultural markers you would have to include and what change in culture as a whole would have to happen for you to actually be read as non-binary the majority of the time without having to physically say to someone, hey, this representation that I'm giving you right now equals non-binary. Yeah. Um, other than wearing a t-shirt that says, yep, I'm non-binary because <laughs> um, branding, it's really difficult because there's so many cross-cultural markers. I've also recognized my face is quite soft, but as I've aged slightly, it's getting enough that my face falls into a little bit of I can't quite tell mode, but it's still quite soft. I'm still always got quite a feminine 
aspect to my face and there's nothing I can do about that. I'm getting a little bit paranoid at the moment with my longish hair in lockdown as to how that, how that makes me be red. But also I've kind of almost given up on it because most of the people who see me on Zoom and that already know I'm non-binary. It's also going to be interesting when I start to go out of how people read the slightly longer hair on my body shape and things like that. I don't tend to wear kilts or skirts or anything like that here in the UK, simply because that immediately seems to throw me over the line into, oh, that's a woman. Whereas some of the other stuff I play around with, people are just like, wow, that's incredibly loud. And we're not quite sure what that person is. And it's that sitting in that not quite sureness, I think, is the non-binariness of playing around with gender markers and it's not having too much of one or t'other. But I'm also totally there for some of my non-binary friends who play around with facial hair and long hair and makeup at the same time. And when people look at them, are like, what the hell are you? And it's like, yeah, that's exactly the reaction you should have. And maybe that's the reaction I'm going for is what the hell are you is an acknowledgement that I can't read you as one or the other. So I'm going to have to say, what the hell are you? And it's kind of like, that's a very punk kind of way of looking at it. But I do kind of think when you hit the I'm not quite sure moment, then I've hit the sweet spot for non-binary. But it curtails your choices so much. I mean, don't get me wrong. Our choices are curtailed constantly. And some people are more aware of it and more comfortable with it or not. For the longest time, you know, I didn't wear trousers, partly because I had to wear them constantly growing up, but also because it was like, in order to send this signal, I have to send it as extremely as I can. So I'm always going to wear a dress and a skirt, no matter what the temperature or circumstance in order to send that signal, in order for people to read me the way I wanted to. In your case, as you've just said, like you feel that you look really well in a kilt and you rather enjoy it, but you wouldn't wear one right now because it would mean that you're going to be read a way that you don't want to, which curtails your choices significantly. Unless I throw other things on top of that kilt. So when I wear the kilt with the punk painted shirt and the wild hair and the ginormous makeup and lots of chains, people look at me and go, No, I really have no clue what the fuck's going on. And it's not just about the clothing. It's about the style you adopt, the way that you walk. And I think there's a swagger. But that's my point is that, yeah, it's incredibly complicated. And you've touched on several things that I think are really interesting to summarize that it's dependent on the culture you're in at the time, the country you're in at the time, the time of your particular lifespan, where you are on that lifespan, what age is doing to you physically, what cultural happenstances just occurred, the season, the language you happen to be using. And then on top of that, your swagger, your physical body movement, the way that you hold yourself, the words you use, the language you use, the way in which you speak, all of these have an impact. But in order to make a person read you the correct way, the way that you want to be read in terms of an intrinsic selfness that you have, your choices are so narrow (laughs) that weirdly enough, in a situation where you might say, okay, as a non-binary person, ideally you would have as much choice as you physically can possibly have and the opportunities are as wide as possible. You have to create an incredibly specific cultural decision (laughs) every time you dress a certain way look a certain way, swagger a certain way, whatever it is, in order to simply not be read as male or female and to get that reaction of, oh my God, I don't know. And even that's not correct because what you want in the end, and I'm putting words in your mouth, please tell me if I'm wrong, 
is to be read as non-binary. They go, ah, oh, that person's non-binary. But do they have to present that way in order to be read that way, to be accepted that way, to have rights that way? No, I think that's a lot of the non-binariness. And that's why there's a drop-in group for non-binary people that, that I run about once a month or so. And it's called Not the Only Ones or Zeros. Because for a lot of people, you're either the only person in your job who's non-binary and who's out about it in some way. So you're read as non-binary or you're told people you're non-binary or you're a zero. Your style, you're read as a man or a woman by your workplace or by your friends and things like that. And so essentially, while you're non-binary, you can't be counted as one. Effectively, when people try to count us, they either see one of us or none of us. And mm. it's playing on that because it's based around tech. Ones and zeros are very techy. It's about mm. that idea of we don't owe you dressing the way that you want us to. We don't owe you our ability and our being comfortable in, our, in the way that we are read, being comfortable in the way that we play around with gender markers is up to us. It would be great if you could read us as non-binary just out of politeness. But I don't want to have to run around in a t-shirt that says, hey, I'm non-binary. I think you've touched on a lot of bases. And in a way, I think this conversation needs to carry on. And I'm sure we'll do more episodes on the topic. But just to introduce the notion the way that you have has changed my perspective on who I am in relation to how I am seen and what choices I make in order to make that happen and how do they relate to the intrinsic sense of self that I have and then of course to try and empathize with yourself because we're trying to be read as quite different things I want to be read as the woman that I am but not have my transness become invisible whilst I'm doing that and I think there's a real tension between those two things I know you want to be read as non-binary but to I want to be to... read as transgressive, non-binary, gender queer. I want to be go. read as the full statement, okay. not just a corner of it. For that, you might need a t-shirt. <laughs> anyway, I think this conversation is going to carry on. But I was going and... to say, I think, I think you're quite right. There is a tension in the way that you're playing around with being read. But there's also a tension in the way that I'm playing around with being read as well. Because you also then get into those notions of safety, but also professionalism. When, when is it safe to be read as one thing and not the other? Or when is it safe to be read as something completely not even on the scale? And does our language and does our societal concept have enough to understand that there are people who aren't on this binary scale? Well, I think that's the interesting thing. And that's why the concept of reading as opposed to passing allows for a certain language to discuss that. Because in order for you to be read as non-binary, not only do you have to make certain choices in how you present yourself in relation to the, the codes that you know exist in society, you are eventually going to need those codes to change because they have to. Because right now there's a binary that doesn't include you, that doesn't allow for you to be read the way you want to be read. For me, I also need those codes to change because I need the category for woman to include trans woman. And that trans is just an adjective to woman. And like tall or yeah, exactly. curvy or long-haired or blue-eyed. Fabulous. 
you know, of course, regal, I was, I was um, trying to figure out what an adjective was because elegant. some of us didn't have a good education. I was thinking of myself there. Yes, <laughs> of course you were. Um, I could, I could, I could see all of those things coming through. Thank you, mm. darling. Oh, if only I'd said so myself moments ago. Um, but yeah, it's a requirement of both the action that you put in, but also a need for cultural shift in order for these things to occur. And we've talked about this in a part with other episodes. We had our performativity episode where we're all performing gender. And I was thinking what you just said made me think of a recent occasion where I had to run a group therapy group for parents of trans kids and the parents were having a really hard time with it. And in order to be read a certain way I had to dress a very specific way and act a very specific way in order to be a respectable passing trans woman who would be heard by them who they'd let speak and listen to in order to be understood now I was going to challenge them in many ways but I needed them to actually listen first and that required me dressing and acting in a way that I wouldn't have done otherwise and almost was a bit uncomfortable with. And I had to question like, okay, that tension between red as something and the actions I have to do in order to have, make that happen is causing friction and discomfort. And I'm going to have to make a choice here. Now that's the complicated choice. That judgment isn't always going to be clear one way or the other. It's going to have to be a, a weighing of circumstance. And I'm glad with the choice that I made because I do think I had an impact on those people. But I must admit, I wish culturally I didn't have to make that choice. And that's the part where we're talking about making culture change in order to include so that I could dress the way I normally would be and be accepted for who I am. And I think you want the same thing, even though we come at it from very, very different angles. Absolutely. I was also thinking, and I know this goes back to that bit around employment, all of that extra effort just to turn up to a meeting that a straight man or a cis woman would never have thought of, would never have had to put in, would never have had to consider in the same way. So everyone's like, when I had my breakdown over socks, uh, and I used to joke that it would take me nearly four hours to decide what socks to wear, they didn't understand the importance of socks, and I don't think they still do. I don't think many people do, simply because it's trying to understand and trying to conceive that entire, why is this so important? It's like, changes how people look at my feet it changes how people you know all of those things are just there and trying to explain them to a group of people who don't have to do it who don't need to do this who are read in a particular way by default because their bodies their style how they present themselves whatever means that they are automatically read into one of the two binaries and they're completely happy with that So it's extra effort that we get to put in into every single interaction. Well, I mean, having grown up for a significant part of my life in England, I'm very aware of the uniforms that culture can have and how depressingly I know. But they love a uniform and they're awful almost always, but they're so easy. And they categorize people so quickly and so well to the point where people, like you say, they're going to go to a job or a job interview. They know exactly what they're going to wear and they just buy it from some random store down the street and they don't even give it a second thought. Now, don't get me wrong. I know people think about their appearance even in those certain circumstances and they have to make decisions that are careful in order to make an impression. But they know the exact impression they're looking to make. They know the silhouette they're trying to create because it's very prescribed and very, very obvious. 
So when you or I have to engage with that lexicon, <laughs> that set of presumptions, and we have to create something that's recognizable and yet also represents ourselves in a way that we want to be read that is outside the norm, the tension between those two things can be really, really difficult and they change depending on the circumstance. But the simple truth is that we want to be read the way we are without having to do that work just like everyone else. Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> it is complicated. It is complicated. It is complicated, and, but yeah. I also love that even just introducing the notion of the difference between passing and reading has changed how you think about it. And I just wonder if it's changed. I mean, this is me saying, hey, I created a Twitter for us today. And I know Twitter is a shitstorm of transphobia and... Oh. Anyway, at some point, you can let us know what you think about some of the stuff that we're spouting and whether or not we're making sense. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is that I'm learning something by doing this. I'm hoping other people will do. And we will at this point, by now, because this is episode 13-ish. Um, by this point, when we finally edit it, when I finally edit it, um, <laughs> this, we will have We will have, and I'm, by we, I mean you, will have created an opportunity for people to react. And we will be having that conversation. And yes, I think we would love to hear what people think about this. Are we wrong? Are we completely off the mark when it comes to your experience? And in the meantime, thank you so much for listening, as always. Yeah. Uh, go see our Patreon at patreon.com slash it is complicated, all one word. If you want to support us and help us carry on doing this and more fabulous things. Dr. J, is there anything you'd like to talk about next week? Jesus fucking Karen will have posted again, won't she? I'd rather not. <laughs> <laughs> see you next week. <sighs>